Yeah. I'm so excited. I am like, just, uh, just can't handle myself. I'm just so excited. Are you guys as excited as I am? I don't think anyone can match that level of enthusiasm, Nate. So, it's but I'm really close. I'm a close second. That level right, well, of enthusiasm. We need to do it this way. Uh, okay. This looks good. Let's do it this way. This one's this one's more fun. I was giving a tour of my house. That's why I was so big from before. Got my new house. I'm excited to be in it. Got my couch coming on tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, and got my table coming tomorrow. And life is okay. Fun. Raise it and work. What kind of table are you getting? I'm getting a Predator nine footer. Oh, fantastic! Very cool. I have a seven foot valley in my house right now, uh, which is useful for my area because everyone in my area plays on either Predator or, or not Predator, uh, Diamond or Valley bar tables. Right. And uh, that is unfortunately for Demetrius spilled over into his neck of the woods, so. He doesn't get to play pool anymore either. That's why I'm opening up the club on April 1. It's going to be nine foot, you know, nine foot diamonds, four to quarter pockets. And uh, we've got a lot of people. Uh, if I was opening up a commercial pool hall that demanded like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people coming in every week, then I don't know that I could support that on nine foot tables. But for a private club where we just need, you know, 50 to 100 people, uh, there's plenty of people in the Twin Cities that really are looking forward to having just you know, one place they can go to that has really uh, a, a lot of, you know, a good nine foot. It seems like all of our pool halls have one good nine footer. But um, anyway, so the point is, is that, uh, yeah, if as far as Wisconsin, though, I, I think that you have a beautiful house, but, you know, it's a heck of a commute to Europe. So, you know, it's, uh -huh. uh, what are you going to do? That's true. I will be going to Europe twice, twice this year, and it's going to be a long trip. How many tables are you going to have in your club, Demi? Uh, I'm going to have six nine-foot diamonds, and then we are going to put in uh, one to three bar tables to start with, and then we have room to expand so that in 12 to 18 months, once we basically, uh, I think at six tables, six nine-foots and one to three bar tables, I think we're going to cap out around 60 members. And then what we'll do once we get a waiting list for people, like once we get like 10, 20 people that want to get in, waiting to get in, then we'll probably uh, take on the extra space. We're going to add another three nine-footers and maybe a few more bar tables if we wanted to for a total of like eight to ten nine-footers and four to six bar tables, something like that as we expand. Very cool. So if somebody is in the Twin Cities area that listens to the show and doesn't know about this, how do they go about getting a membership? So right now we haven't advertised anything. So we've just been doing word of mouth. We've got people that are kind of on a waiting list. So we're going to we're going to take the people that have reached out to us directly before we advertise. We may not even need to advertise. Uh, so you could reach out to me directly, Demetrius Gelatis. Uh, and then uh, the other thing is... Um, for the people in Wisconsin, there's been a lot of people that I know would like to come train with me, but let's, the boot camps don't fit into everybody's life. Uh, the money, the time commitment, even just the level of play to, to come and do three days of training isn't, you know, I'm, I'm targeting a very small demographic. So I'd like to be able to help more people. So once we get these tables rolled out to where I can block off two, three tables for training, um, there are going to be some, uh, some, some small groups that I do and, uh, and some where I'll be able to target different levels. So that'll open up the door to, you know, more intermediate level players. It'll also open up the door as far as lower price tags and shorter durations. So that for budget and time and skill, those those are like the three requisites to come train with me. You've got to be at a certain level, have a certain amount of time and money to come train. And so I'm going to try to 
make my make my training available to more people, at least at the level that they're at and at the budget they're at for time and money. So that's that's one of the reasons I'm excited to open this is uh, it'll be nice to have kind of a training facility. So, see, Rob, you know, you know, we send out messages to find out who's going to be on the show. You just got to message us, you clown. What are you doing? Uh, well, I, I was busy. <laughs> How's it going, Rob? Hey, guys. You look grumpy. Sorry. Why are you grumpy, Rob? Sorry, I'm late. Well, I, I've, I'm old, a little older than you guys, right? And in the last few weeks, uh, some friends of mine uh, have pool playing friends of mine. It's like they're all kicking off. And uh, and that's that's kind of been a little bit depressing for me. Uh, oh. Well, so. sorry to hear that, friends Rob. Now, buddy. Yeah, we're here now. And I promise I'll be around for as long as my liver will hold up for my alcoholism. <laughs> How's that? Well, uh, with that, out I of had the way, some computer problems too. Have you guys? Uh, uh, what happens is I'm interested about certain subjects and I'll, I'll see something and especially it happens on Facebook more than anything. And I'll click on that. And then all of a sudden the screen will come up. That'll warn me. Do not, <laughs> do not turn my computer off and call this number. And I try to, I can't do anything on the screen to make a change. We'll make I sure to call that number as fast as you can and give them your credit card information immediately. Well, the first time it happened, because I'm kind of an idiot, <laughs> I did that. Was it Nate's phone number? After, <laughs> correct. After I afforded my new house, Demetrius. After about 10 <laughs> minutes, I'm thinking, you know, some of this information you're asking for, you already have it. Why would you ask me that? And then I thought, ah, scam. This has got to be a scam. I thought you were coming for me. So that's been happening. So I haven't been available because of that too, because my PC's been gone. I'll tell you what, man. It is. It's detestable. That you know, I, I, I know that I know that they're shutting stuff down. But I've actually, uh, I've, heard, I've actually. Anyway, I think Facebook makes a lot of money from advertisements from companies that are less than reputable, and and it's like they are aware of this and. You know, I'd like to. I'd like to say they're doing everything they can do to shut down on fraud and all this type of stuff. But but there's so much money that they're bringing in from these companies that are passing themselves off as semi-legitimate. Well, everyone kind of understands what's going on. It's it's kind of gross. But anyway, um, it's too bad. Oh, so I, I took my PC to the doctor, and he took a couple of days and cleaned it up and did that yeah. kind of stuff. But when they say don't turn your computer off. That's the first thing you need to do. Yeah, yeah. So and reboot well, it. I think, first of all, I think the first thing it. that you need to do is not click on those links. I think that's yeah. probably yeah, the but first thing. One of them was like, <laughs> I could have watched this mongoose eat a snake. I mean, I mean, that's hard to argue with. Want to see that? I, I okay, love so. watching animals attacking other animals. It's I get caught up in these rabbit holes every year. My kids will ask me, Dad, did you did you spend another hour watching animals attacking other animals? I'm like, yeah. I, Kind of, you know, Rob, I but need okay. to introduce you to this fantastic thing called YouTube, where you don't have to worry about clicking bad links. You could just go there and search whatever you want to see, and pretty good chance it's there, especially if it's a cat video. Yes, I did see a raccoon hugging 
a baby deer, a fawn today. And that was really nice. This is riveting podcast. So I'm going to pivot here because we want to talk about we want to talk about this predator event. And uh, yes, somebody, Randy, has made a comment about the racks. And I, yeah. I, I don't know if there's a particular format you want to go, but I have a very, uh, I'm opinionated. This is the only thing I have an opinion on with this whole event. Yeah, Do you mind this, if I just jump in on this question or on this yeah, comment? I, I was going to ask go a question. So. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. I'll preface this by saying we've played some virtual competitions, Nate. I actually just played a virtual competition and it was a nine ball. And it was it was pattern racking allowed one on the spot magic rack like the softest 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 rules you can use right and it was boring and so I don't want to even make it sound like a, I, if I told you how I did it would sound like a brag but really I'm not bragging because what happened is I looked back at the at my uh, at the video of like my performance and if you were to measure I mean the wing ball went every time I'm playing basically eight ball or seven ball because I don't need to break that hard. I'm playing eight or seven ball with the balls wide open. And if you counted, if you looked at the number of balls per rack, you'd say, oh, seven or eight balls. But that's not really how I count racks. I look at how much difficulty is there per rack, like how many tough shots, how many tough transitions. And if you looked, it's like there was almost no work to be done. All the balls were kind of open and led to the next. And it was like, yeah, I ran out a bunch, but I felt dirty. And when I watched top players playing 10 ball with a template rack, it's, it's equally silly sometimes. You know, you don't always make all the balls, but boy, you get open racks, you get good layouts, you get good distribution, and it's like watching and watching elite players run through seven and eight, nine balls with open balls. It's it's just, there's very minimal, uh, it's not a lot of dry breaks, not a lot of safety play, at the, you know, compared to wood racks. And so here's my thought. When you go to the wood rack, you eliminate all that and, and you can't check the racks and sometimes there's bad racks you get dry breaks you get uneven distribution you get clusters you get safeties you get problems you get breakouts and i think that yes what you could do is you can go through and do what some people on facebook do which is they go through and and they find like the two slug racks of the tournament where the balls were racked terrible and they don't open up and be like well th this doesn't work but that's you know a handful of breaks out of hundreds and hundreds of break shots and it's, it's like I could easily go through these other tournaments with the template racks and point out all these breaks of just, you know, three and four balls with everything in the same spot every time where you can't. It's just watching paint dry to watch these guys run open balls on new cloth. And so my opinion is I'll I'll take the occasional slug rack if it means that we get to actually play real pool after the break and see variety and adversity and and challenging racks and challenging moving games and and, uh, and where the outcome is going to be in doubt about the break. Uh, I think it's the best thing in 10 ball I've seen. So that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, especially if you're dealing with these short races that Predator does. You got winter breaks, race to four, and now you're going to have a template? So it won't work. I'm on board with that, uh, uh, Demetrius, with that kind of thinking for sure, for that reason. Now, if it was alternate break and you had a template, that would help a little bit. But still, the balls do go. If you hit them the same way, they go in the same place every time. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're not guaranteed that with the human being using a wood or plastic rack, whatever kind of rack it is, um, a person is doing it. And, and, and we're just people. We're going to make little mistakes here and there. These guys do the best they can racking those balls, all of them. They check them. But even with that, it's not the same. You never get that same rack twice. Not like a template. It just yeah. don't happen. Even when they do tap the tables, yeah. it doesn't, no, you know, by the end of the event. If, if you're in a big event like this, 
you really kind of want to show your stuff and break and run racks. And if you can't do that because the person you're racking the balls for you is every other rack isn't really the greatest. Now that doesn't happen every other rack, but I mean, on a bad day, if the person well, racking is. It's like a racking. reverse nine ball break. And nine ball yeah. once in a while, once right. in a while, something will kick the nine ball in the pocket. It's like, oh, yeah. something good happened. Look what here it's like changed. here it's like the reverse, you know, once he in a while. This event because of a break. Yeah. Balls in the middle of the table gets kicked in the corner and that he's done. Yeah, and so it's just another event. Like once in a while, I, and it's kind of fun. To, it's kind of fun, man. Once in a while, they get down a break, and the cue ball leaps back and stops, and like three balls open up, and everyone's like, <gasps> you know, it's just kind of like, hey, man, it can happen. You know, it's like a skid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just take it, take it for what it is. I mean, of course, they should try to get good racks. In, in that final match, there was one rack that was just terrible loose, and they balls. I don't even think three balls hit a rail. It was just a mess on <laughs> one side of the table. And but the commentators turned that around, and they said hey now look at what we got here and they used that to benefit the fan base who was watching this match these guys are going to have to now use some other methods to win this rack and play through this so yeah demetrius i, I you know i totally agree with that uh uh, uh evaluation of you know was it, was it sanjin i think you're talking about was it the sanjin break i, th I think that's what where Obviously, the right side of the rack was not connected. The head ball was only connected to the left, uh, the <laughs> left wing ball, and all of the all of the force went down the left line of the the table, and nothing went into the right side of the rack at all. And then, you know, at insult to injury, uh, the ball that does escape out of the stack goes four cushions and goes right back into the rest of the ball. Too. So you have all ten <laughs> yeah, balls. Yeah. You have all ten but balls. You can hear that. Like, you those like rack a one rack. quadrant of the table. It's, it's kind of that. There was one. There was one rack. I think that Billy broke. That I commented. I was like, oh, "Well, which one is his pocket?" Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it was bad. I mean, it was bad. It's not. I agree that the, like the the premise behind wanting to use a triangle rack, for this format fits, but um, it's embarrassing. It you know, be. especially with that many eyes yeah. to see racks. Yeah, if you're the referee, because it's really what you're not going to be the one. That has to look at what you just yeah. did. And, you know, the, the players are going to be patient to a point, and then eventually somebody's going to go on tilt and say, you know, you cost me yeah. a set. Or well, you see, you know? <laughs> I mean, that is it. the players are moving where they break from. And you know when that happens that they're just not comfortable with. I can tell you definitively that the consensus break in this format is a reaction to the volatility in the results are getting from the rack and from the breaking situation. Everybody's breaking defensively from the rail for the most part because they know that it gives them the best chance to at least have a say in a moving competition if the balls don't open yeah. properly. If this was a format where all the balls are touching, they're going to break for the middle and attack the break and use it to well, break. Was, there was one player breaking, but that's not making the second ball in the rack in the side pocket almost every time they broke. Consider that, consider any consistency anomalous in this format. Any idea that you have a preconceived level of consistency of outcome on the break, completely anomalous. Mm -hmm. You have to just assume you're going to get a bad rack every time. Well, and I and target the one yeah. on the side and break and, and play for a defensive maneuvering situation like them was sure. talking about 
and whatever happens. Yeah, I like what Raymond's saying. They're shoes and breaks where they're going to scratch less. They're going to lose the cue. You know, they're going to make the give themselves a chance to make the one because that's the only ball that you could even somewhat predict. And then, and then instead of playing like all out offense where we know we're going to break in balls, so let's just try to control the one and string racks. It's like, how do we, how do we avoid scratching? How do we kind of manage our whole range of possible outcomes with this rack that we're going to get? Yeah, I like that's interesting, Ray. So thanks for sharing. And then, yeah, the flow. The, the, the entire flow chart has been shifted this direction be, uh, as a response to it's too painful to break them good, quote unquote, into a bad wreck, not have the balls track in the direction that they're supposed to track when the balls are touching and leave your opponent a cupcake. Right. In a short race format, it's too painful. So you're giving up three innings. And at this level, you have maybe one inning, one to three innings, depending on how good your opponent plays, and then you're toast. So to minimize that, people break from the rail, try and target the one, and play from there. That's just it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, as far as the I, – I do I do see what you're saying, right? And I, I, I do ultimately side on the Demetrius side of things. So, I mean, you end up catching one, maybe two, maybe three racks where it's obviously terrible and the ball should have never been racked the way that they were. But how many racks are there in this tournament? You know, let's say 95% of them are good enough. Uh, I would rather attack the 5% than, uh, you know, and, and that comes down to, you know, you either got to tap the tables more accurately, uh, which I've seen them do. There's there's probably a tool that they could ultimately end up coming up with, well, like like a magic rack or something like that that just has bigger holes. I cashed in this event last year. I played in it and I cashed in it and I was breaking hard from the middle. And thankfully the majority of my breaks and racks were like the racks were done well. So I got lucky, but there's a rotation of referees that'll yeah. area rack for like four or five tables. So it was fine for me. You know what I mean? But after this tournament, I switched to breaking from the cushion and that was just out of percentages, realizing that eventually it's going to cost me matches and the break never cost me at least in the you know the two or three events i played last year i still enjoy playing the format I, st I was complimentary to the referees who are there they're doing a thankless job they get a lot of heat put on them all the time constantly they're just bending over doing very laborious work for hours on end with no no gratitude whenever i walk onto the floor i say thank you for your for your time thank you you know and i just make it a point to say thank you for being there and doing that work and then and hopefully that you know, maybe maybe that's why better racks. <laughs> maybe that's why I had some good racks. Yeah, you never know. You know, they're like, oh, this guy's not up my butt, and I don't I don't blame them either because I understand this is inherently built into the volatility of. Hand that's racking. right, and, and they're doing it over and over and over again. It's going to be human error. Do you, you think anybody ever tips the refs? Yeah, I was just going to say, Rob, I'm a believer in incentives. What if they had some kind of bonus for the ref that had the most balls per break on average or something like that, or the most break it runs? You know, like the, the ref that gave the best racks gets a little something. But anyway, I wanted to respond. Little Chris, hey, Chris, he just said something about 95% of the racks are good, but should be good, be good with 5% to cost a finalist a match. And I have two quick comments on that. One, we can only say that costs them the match if we have the expectation that every rack breaks perfectly. And so once we let go of that expectation and just say there is volatility, that's part of the adversity that we're scrambling with is some uncertainty in this game and, uh, and that you have to play good enough not to get to a spot where one break can make or break you then uh, or deal with it the best you can if that happens. So so number one, is it's a premise that I'm not even sure I agree with is that that, that rack costs them the match um, because I just feel like there's some luck and pool, like we talked about. But the other part is we have to always compare it. What's the alternative? And if the alternative is one in 20 racks 
you know, somebody gets really burned by a bad rack versus the alternative being we're watching people run four packs off the break without ever having a tough transition and the other guy yeah, getting right, out of their chair. With. I would snap call on the one in 20 racks being bad. For sure it's better for, in my in my opinion, yeah. Well, I think that there's there's other things that you could do too. Like you can either accept that 5% are bad and that's just what it's going to be, or you can start attacking that 5% and see if you can get it down to 3%. When I've seen them, when when they tap the racks, what they do is they put the balls in the rack, in the triangle, and they push it up. And then they they have one ref that just holds it there tight. And then the other ref takes a ball and taps all the way around on, on all 10 balls. And I think there are there's got to be significantly better options than that. I mean, at oh. the end of the day, there, there's probably some sort of template, like a magic rack or something like that, where they had like the little triangles, right? But maybe the triangles just need to be opened up a little bit bigger to hold themselves in place. And maybe you can use a, some sort of template to actually help tap the rack so it's more accurate. Maybe that's a thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But th there's got to be a better way to prepare the tables to attack that 5% as opposed to. Yeah, and there's always going to be some fine tuning that could occur, right? I'm not saying this is perfect or that they couldn't make any adjustments. But what I am saying is I think it's easy for people to watch one slug rack on, on a video and then be like, oh, this doesn't work. That's stupid. Whereas they don't really see how stupid it is to watch a bunch of four packs where they're making the same three balls in the same three pockets and the ones tracking in front of the corner and the other guy doesn't get to shoot. Uh, I just think that we have to kind of look at the big picture here and say, I'm, you know, what there's pros and cons. That's my only point. And I just want people to look past just that initial knee jerk reaction that this idea doesn't work. That's all. Well, there's a lot of, you know, the, the same thing kind of goes for golf, right? Uh, the golfers inherently want the course to be as easy as possible. And the people in charge of the PGA events or whatever, you know, live events there are now, their job is not to make the course easy. Their job is to challenge, challenge the golfers and make it, make it as entertaining as possible. I think that a slug rack, uh, and you get to see them moving back and forth, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 innings each, where they're playing safety battles on basically every other shot. Cause there's no, there's no run out. Maybe that I think that's more entertaining than watching somebody break and run a four pack. Uh, when it's a race to four to begin with, you throw the template out there. I mean, maybe I'm a little bit high on this, but it, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if there was with a template two to three packs almost, almost matchly. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if right. it was on average a three pack. You, you would see sets run out, you, 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 yeah. you, you, you would see one inning, it, there would be the potential for a one inning match. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Because you can lose the lag, the guy breaks dry, and you run the set out both times, yeah. and yeah. you're done. Both times that could happen with a guy like Shane or Feder. Feder yeah, has done really. it. Feder's run up seven or eight and out in oh, yeah. match play. Kachi's done ten or eight or nine and out in in match play on YouTube. So it's not like it's it can break once and that's it in a match. Done. So you could lose the lag. The guy breaks and scratches or breaks dry. You run out. You could break and run both sets, and the match is over. Congratulations. Yeah. Have yeah. a nice day. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So the only yeah. in a tournament like this, because the tur the tournament no, cloth I... is always pristine. It's always going to be really slippery. Because I mean, I'm sure they're probably replacing the cloth right now for the Predator World Ten Ball. So it's always going to have that slippery conditions. The balls are always going to be sliding in off the break. Even you know, you get down to the finals. There's there's just not that many racks played on these tables and. You know, it's always going to be pretty slippery. You're going to be able to not, make some balls on the break. I will still rib the referees for throwing up slug wrecks. Like, you're just going to have to, right? You got to keep them honest and keep them wanting to. But, like, you know, John Lehman gets up there and throws up a mud rack and builds a building with it. Like, we're going to let them know. That's it. That's what <laughs> that's fans being good fans, you know? That's but right. Some you know, you, you could have had a rule that, that if only two balls hit a rail and these guys are breaking hard. 
Some you got to re-rack them balls. You can't. You can't accept that. Did he not hit him good? Like, no, he's a professional player. He hit no, him great. He, he hit him good. He got yeah. hit harder than he could possibly hit that. The rack. other thing I like about the uh, uh, the the rack that uh, creates kind of a mess afterwards, uh, no matter how you hit him, is the not that I'm a fan of jumping, but as a fan, I've seen a lot more jump shots in these races to four with a human being racking the balls. I'm seeing that jump cue coming out a lot. So you get to get makes to, me happy. Yeah, you get to test, you get to see what these players, how far they've come with that technique of their jumping. And some are better at it than others. And you can you can see that. I saw a couple of matches won because of this guy's prowess in jumping the balls. I um, think I think the thing I really like about this format, especially as it matures, I like the the addition of this third set. But I yes. think it only it only heightens absolutely heightens the importance of every inning. Yep. Every inning is extremely consequential. There are certain situations where somebody is shooting a nine ball or a ten ball, and you're sweating it because if they make the ten ball, <laughs> it goes to a third set. <laughs> if they miss the ten ball, the match is over. Yeah. It's that consequential. Oh yeah. Like, to me, that's beautiful. That's the closest. We're not we've seeing as many shootouts either. This is the closest we've gotten to tennis, and I think tennis has like the best dynamic scoring system. Pretty nice. Uh, you know, between two competitors that you can have, this is the closest we've gotten to that feeling where it's like, oh, it's match point, and then all of a sudden you come back and it's like, oh, we're going to the fifth set, and then, oh, it goes to a shootout or a tiebreak or whatever. Like that's dynamic. That's compelling watching. Yeah. Or like that ball. You better not miss cue. Yeah. You better not like, oh, you know, think lose for anything. You gotta make that ball. And then you get to go to a third set. And then you get to like because the other guy sitting down is feeling it in the chair too. It's like crap, you know. And all of a sudden you let them off. You know what I mean? Or like they're like now now the pressure's tripled on them. You know what I mean? And you gotta reset. It's like that's awesome. That's sport. That's really cool. So this is the only format that we have in professional pool that gets anywhere close to that. Yeah, I'm so glad they did that too. Added that set. I, I agree. I think the, the new format is significantly better for the players. Is it better for the viewers? I, I think that uh, I think if you have too many shootouts, I think it cheapens it a little bit. Yeah. And you, I mean, cause, because what we're finding out basically by the end of this event is you're basically playing every single match to get to a shootout. I mean, yeah. 70, 80, I don't know that's the numbers on this, but it just seems like 80% of the matches that happen after the third round are all going to shootouts. So you're basically to the point where you're like, all right, well, let's, let's, you know, get through the, the, the icky beginning parts of, you know, Might getting like to four. shootout from the beginning. Yeah. And, and then it's basically like, all right, let's get through this, this initial round and then let's just, mentally start preparing for the shootout after the after the first set basically it's like all of these sets basically go to a shootout and then it's i think that cheapens the idea of the shootout i think the shootout should be a little bit more i don't want to say this in a it should have a little bit of prestige to it it should have like a little magic to it right and if you have it every single time it just it just doesn't do it as much for me so i like the idea of having that third set where they play that a little bit and then if it gets to that point it's the shootout i like, I like the possibility of you know the a possible scratch in the shootout too which did happen <laughs> yeah we saw it last uh, event i mean it could have been tied real easy because of that he makes the ball and scratches two rails in the corner 
I, I do uh, like the my favorite part about the scratch, I guess, is region by region, it seems like they scratch in different pockets. The Europeans, <laughs> if they're going to scratch, they scratch three cushions into the side pocket. The <laughs> Filipinos, if they're going to scratch, they scratch two cushions. Or, you know, I've seen some of the players really ramp up and hit it. Some of them actually, I've seen a, a four rail scratch. And then the Americans, if they scratch, they end up scratching in like the the right middle pocket or something like whatever uh, whatever the same. It, it's like just one it's rail funny in the corner that, or something. Yeah, it's different than the, the the different regions. It's like it's just funny how the different regions around the world actually scratch in different pockets. I find. Well, that do you funny. have to do you have to go for the cut? What would happen if somebody just got up and started banging the ball one rail and just stuck their cue ball and just steered? Well, it's it's got to go into that pocket. So you can four rail. What, you can what if, or what if you or you zed it? Yeah, if you zed it. <laughs> That'd yeah, be pretty cool. Start two railing it right in the Yeah, corner. yeah. I, don't think right. that, I actually don't know if the Z bank on those tables is possible. Yeah, maybe not. And I, well, I mean, b- b- the speed that you need to hit it at to get it to those two cushions. No, but he could two rail it. I don't know if you can. Short rail, short rail, yeah. Oh, short rail, short rail. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Sure. I don't know that you can do the long rail twice, though. I don't, no. I don't know well, you that. Can uh... on that you can or what that. if you five rail kicked really long so the cue ball came to the rack and cut the ball in? I'm okay with that. All right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's or, a power move. Or some kind of timing shot. That's totally to a certain What if you feathered it with a little inside, chipped the ball, cut it straight into the side rail, and zigzagged your cue ball and timed it in? Okay. Let's, we better change the subject. I can think of the crazy anyway. It sounds like this is like a new uh, Demetrius. I, I know what you're doing for the next two weeks. You're just going to. I have a lot of spare time, moves. man. I, I like to practice my timing shots sometimes. Yeah, that's always good. Uh, so I guess we can actually talk about the event. Great question. Timing shots. I like we it. We can uh, we can talk about the uh, I don't know. Let's talk about the men's first because I think that that's a, a well, slightly more interesting. World Cup three cushion World Cup going on in Vegas right now. Well, we'll talk about that and... after. How's that? We'll talk about that after. Sure. This. So I think the men's a little bit more interesting only because Victor Zelensky uh, is now the back-to-back champion. Um, this seems to be his event. And, of course, last year was it was a much more interesting story because literally the night before the, he won the title last year, him, Conrad Ustishin, Mieszko Fortunski, they were all robbed <laughs> in their hotel rooms, which was a little interesting. Oh, I remember that. Uh, as far as I know, that did not happen this year, but – Victor Zelensky still wins, so I guess uh, at the end of the day, seems all right. It's uh, impressive, man. Very. Sanjin, Sanjin Pelovanovic, uh, again, he just doesn't – he keeps getting some pretty deep runs. He just does not yeah. quite have – I think he, I think he did win a European championship last year. They if I'm not said mistaken. he was eight-time junior champion. Sanjin? Yeah, he's won eight junior championships. I mean, depending on what the junior championship shirt, I'm sure. I mean, he's a great player. I mean, he's he's been knocking on the door of being an elite European player now for probably a year and a half. Um, you know, just outside of the, uh, well, kind of just outside of like the Victor Zelinskis and uh, uh, Joshua Fillers and Alvin Osh. He's not quite at that level yet, but he's he's. I think right around now, he's he's right around that Eklund Kachi type of David Alkaidi uh, category. So who do you who do you think would win if you take the three best players from Poland, three best players from Austria, and the three best players from Spain? Who would Austria. win that? Austria. Austria. Who? Probably, probably right now Austria, um, just because Albin and Mario are probably a one. Mario's like on the verge of a one tier. He's had a lot of really deep runs and a lot of good experience. Um, 
in kind of like high event pressure situations and playing rotation great. And Alvin is still probably top five, six players in the world. So it's hard to bet against that. I think um, as a pool of talent, Poland is deeper. Uh, after if it's anything, first two if positions, it's anything five FSR, or more, Poland wins. FSR and David, yeah. If it's FSR and David, you're doing three-man team, like what Nate's saying. You know that's close because FSR is like the top player. The and Jose world, Alberto Delgado is a great and, and even and, and Jonas Jonas, and Jonas, yeah, Jonas, Jonas, you know, like yeah, but but there's a drop off. But Poland has like <laughs> seven guys that are there, like right there. Daniel Maciel was a yeah, semifinalist in this been. event. It could have been an all Poland final. And the kid is getting better. Nobody talks about him, but the kid has had a really yeah. solid. He was my pick last few months. He was my pick for He's the world nine ball. Very yeah. impressive. Yeah, like the, the kid is really great. Um, Victor, I think uh, the the better player won the event. Won the event. You know, he's a I think yeah, a better young player is. than Sanchez. His temp. I love his temperament. His temp. He can go through an event, have heartbreaking losses, and like stay composed. You know what I mean? Which to me speaks to his character at a profound level. The kid is ready to win because he's he knows how to manage his losses. And I, I think that's more than can be said for a lot of like so-called top tier professionals that want to get there, but they haven't learned that yet. <laughs> you know, I've seen some Q testing <laughs> at different events, you know what I mean? Structural integrity tests uh, in reactions to, to losses that I think is, is kind of telling. But I mean, Victor takes it on the chin. He understands it's part of the process and he gets back up there, does it again. And the fact that he's won this event now back to back in these fields I, is just awesome. I yeah, mean, when you when you talk about player, skills, really I mean striking is a one, but I think that his biggest competitive edge might just be his the fire in his belly. Is there anybody that is hungrier than he is? I mean, I don't know. If you had to just measure desire. I just had lunch. I just had lunch. Yeah. I, fair I, enough. I just had lunch. But I, I don't know that anyone hungry, has more desire. Yeah, switch to desire. That young Syrian player certainly looked like he had some desire. He looked like he was having sure. fun. He looked like he was on like a boys' That's weekend true. away or something like that when he was playing. Really? So uh, I guess, uh, yeah, we but can just, look at the. I'll tell you what, desire, desire shows up in two ways, though. One way you can measure desire is during the event who looks, you know, who's ready to walk through walls to get it and who's willing to shake off those losses, like Raymond Sam. But the other way that desire shows up is when you don't see it, which is, do they want it enough to where the months leading up to that tournament, they're they're putting in the work they need to do to develop themselves to the level where they actually can win it. Because showing up unprepared and then wanting it doesn't do you any good. And I think Victor is like, obviously he wants it while he's playing as much as anybody, but it's clear for him to have gotten to that level as young as he is and be striking the way he is and be as prepared as he is to actually do it. Like that desire doesn't waver. It's not. It's not like a seasonal desire where, yeah, now that we're in competition, the adrenaline's flowing. I want to win. It's like that. He, I feel like he burns nonstop throughout the year. That's my opinion. Yeah, probably. I guess look, looking at the rest of this tournament, uh, how? I think we should take a, a, a second to talk about Dong. I mean, the the Vietnamese player. He kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, and he has been having some really deep runs. And oh yeah, I'll tell you what, Chan Van Boning has no chance say, apparently. Um, <laughs> no, it's not that. It's a it's a very close match. I think uh, I think uh, Duong is a professional. He's a top tier 
player, somebody that maybe we don't know of, yeah. on, but we're getting to know on a on a higher. He he impressed me the most of any player I watched at the U.S. Open this past year, and he came to like some fatigue on the last day to qualify for the final batch of uh, rounds. Otherwise, he would have been a threat to go there to go deep there too. I think the only weakness that he's shown in this event is the shootout. It's obviously something that he's not prepared. Uh, because he gets down and hits the balls, I think, the wrong way every time. And he's kind of shown some frustration a little bit. The only time I've seen, like, it's very subtle, but I've noticed, like, he's just kind of, like, stubborn in his approach and hasn't kind of modified his stroke to accommodate the shootout ball. And uh, the two matches I've seen him lose were in the shootout. But he got to a position where he could win. So I think if he just takes some time to prepare the shootout. If properly, you're his coach, if you're his coach, what? Well, hang good. on, hang on, Rob. I'm sorry. If you're his coach, Raymond, what would you tell him to adjust on that shootout shot? I'm interested. Yeah, I'm playing for a half ball. Right. I'm playing for a rolling ball shot and let him just deliver the cue from the corner and going deep in the corner and hitting the ball awful. And so it's like. Is he using come, like low outside? Is he trying to yeah, go two he's, rails? He's stunning the ball. Pure stun low and going too deep and hitting the ball just terrible. It's all deflection issues that he's dealing with. And he has a straight, and he has a long cue too, so that compounds the deflection stuff. Stay center ball, stay clean, roll the ball in, you're going to beat everybody. So, like, enough. Like, if you keep doing this, it's because you're not being self like, you're not introspective enough to know what's causing your error, and you're just going to do it until you're like, okay, maybe now I should change because it hurts enough, you know? So it just depends on how he wants to learn. But if I'm him, I'm lining up a half ball, rolling the ball in every single time a million times in a row and take my chances from there because he can obviously deliver the ball straight and with authority under pressure. And he's done he's done that over and over and over again in match play, but he's shooting the wrong shot uh, for his stroke type. Uh, in these situations, cost him both shootouts the same way. Like he's not competitive in shootouts. Like if I played him, I'd I'd have confidence in beating him if I got to a shootout. I I think it's interesting how you know when we're talking about like these types of shots, how different shots there's certain preferences as to how you hit them. And so some people, you know, they really like uh, like if you're shooting that money ball out of the rack area, uh, maybe not from the the deep part of the kitchen. But I understand like. For many years, I would use a low outside and stun that ball in and come two rails deep, you know, wrap around that corner tight. Um, but when you have that much distance, the uh, the extra cue speed required to keep your ball sliding and then and just kind of it, it, there's a certain distance at which that kind of breaks down and it's no longer the correct way to shoot it. But there's just preferences, you know, and, and it's hard. There's a lot of times you kind of have a cinch way to you like to play certain shots, and it's one of the hardest parts about pool is when you have to shoot shots with with roll or with spins or with speeds that you don't really like for the angle you have. And yeah, it's, it's just, you just have to get used to it, I guess. That to me screams a player who plays in the pool room and doesn't play enough on these tournament conditions. And that's it. That's, that's, that's what it tells me is that he's used to, you know, swinging the cue ball around and on a dirty high friction table where you're not getting a lot of flex and swerving your cue ball. Sure. Do whatever you want. But uh, you know, in these conditions where it's glassy, it's sliding, you're conducive to deflection, just roll a ball. Don't don't compound your errors and make it harder. I, I mean, the Filipinos do it the same way. And sometimes they look great. They do. Yeah. Sometimes they look like they're unprepared and they don't know what they're doing. Like Roland Garcia has looked really spotty. I beat Roland Garcia last year in Michigan in a shootout. He looked like he didn't know what he was doing. And then afterwards he switched and kind of started, you know, rolling his ball more and, and changing his position and trying to find a different spot. But he was kind of imitating Carlo Beato because uh, Carlo likes to whip the ball around. But Carlo's a different ball pocketing machine than like 95, 99% of the 
people alive. You know what I mean? So he has <laughs> it, it, is, it is really interesting. So when I when I practice, there are times I don't do this every practice session, but there's times when I'll have a run. Like if I'm playing and a run comes up that I find interesting, like I'm not sure what to do or it's laying awkward and I'm just not real. Sometimes I'll take a picture of it and then later on I'll set those balls up again and try different ways and different things. And, and because there's something about like finding, in my opinion, like the right way through the balls where you take a rack that looked almost unrunnable and find a way to kind of get through them to where it's almost repeatable. And so that's satisfying, but there's a problem with that. And actually uh, my buddy, Jesse, you know, uh, told me, he says, the only problem with that is if you play the run out again and again, you can learn that shot at that angle on that table. And so you can get it to where you can make the control good enough to maybe run about a certain way. But if you're playing on a table you're uncomfortable with under heat, you don't really know how the rails are going to react that time or there's any doubt, the percentages change when you only get one shot and you're not used to the way the balls react. So you might play. So you can't you can't just play the rack 20 times and then say, well, this is the right pattern now. It's like, no, you got to find the pattern that works the first time as much as possible. And so, yeah, when you're on slidey new equipment with rails and, and the length in and, and it, the way the balls, like you're saying, they deflect, but they don't curve back and it's everything's a little uncomfortable. You have to adjust. Um, to uh, it's, it changes the percentages. It's like you're saying, it's a lack of experience in those conditions. Even with experience, a shock to your system <laughs> alone. It's hard, man. It's hard. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, I, he can't kind of came out of nowhere and he's been, it's certainly he's been beaten up on chain, which is, of course, as an American, you you kind of see that, and somebody coming out of nowhere and kind of beating up on Shane. I think he's beat him three times now in the last. Well, he got lucky the last what? time because Shane uh, got luck, luck is uh, the, what, what, the residue. I'll tell you this, Rob. When I get lucky against Shane, I lose by less. So, yeah, Shane finally broke from the rail in the last part. He squatted the cue ball, then got uh, kicked in the corner. And he's and running then, that rack. He's and then, getting out of that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, that happened. Uh, but, you know, that's – it took him long enough to switch. a few switch, times you know? in tournaments and just sucks yeah. it up. It's going to yeah. go that way. That's when you have to break – I mean, if he had the template rack, could break from where he's used to break and know where every single ball is going to go and never scratch. That's a whole new thing. Oh, we talked about all that, though. But anyhow, now can I mention the World Cup tournament? Well, can we finish? Can I did, we finish out with the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, uh, I kind of want to talk about the women's. Wait, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, go that's ahead. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So, uh, going on. Well, is there anything that you wanted to discuss specifically about the women's event? Um, the champion Sioa is her name, right? Yeah. Yep. Korean girl. She. I, I was watching her play. And there were certain times she hit the ball that reminded me a lot of Ga Young Kim and her kind of approach and certain strokes, not the same tempo or style per se of like Ga Young was very aggressive and like kind of a quicker place player, but just certain cue deliveries that felt very informed. I don't know if it's like a Korean kind of like disposition and stuff because they have a, a huge background in Karim. Um, but I was very impressed with her ball striking and her temperament and composure and I mean, she got up there and won the tournament. And like in the matches that I watched her play, she looked like she was the, the best player. You know what I mean? And um, had a really great event. So I was just impressed to see another top woman coming out of Asian Q Sports. You know what I mean? And kind of making a debut 
and uh, playing really well. So, uh, yeah. They replayed that shot a couple times on that six ball she had. It was kind of a force follow shot up in the corner where she goes two rails then all the way back down the table for that seven ball. That one uh, struck pretty darn sporty. Yeah, very clean. Very clean. Very clean. Yeah, congratulations to her. What a great tournament for her. Yeah. yeah and the person, the, the, lady, the gal she played in the finals was no slouch. I mean, wow. They can they can handle that cue stick. It's fun to watch. Yeah. Well, she uh, she took third in the, the world nine ball. So, I mean, she she obviously can play. Uh, gets her, her first big victory here. Um, Silviano Lou and uh, Chris Christina's Lateva, third, fourth. Uh, Meng Su Hung, I guess, is uh, second place, I should have said. Uh, and then <clears throat> looks like a bunch of Europeans in uh, the the semifinals or the, uh, the sorry, the quarterfinals. Alua Kabaraglu, Christina Takech, uh, Kelly Fisher, and uh, yeah, Chin Yu Cho. Pretty, Who was uh, the top? Awesome. Was there a has there been a, a U.S. women's player that finished? And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little lack of representation here on the on the the old red, white, and blue. Well, that's kind of been the case for the U.S., hasn't it? Allison yeah. Allison won a tournament here about a month ago. It's hard. Allison to... Fisher is not U.S. <laughs> yeah, she. I mean, I know I'm she's not... been living, but it's she like. Yeah, it's 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 that's my point, Rob. But we have to start taking like, well, Shaw lives in New York now, so he's kind of yeah. represent. It's like it's kind of you're kind of yeah. <laughs> we had uh, to visit once in a while. Yep, Eleanor Cadala uh, Manuel uh, gets in the last sixteen, but it's hard, man. I mean, I'm not I'm not to be fair. Like, if I played this thing, I might not finish the top sixteen of the women's. Like, trust me, I get it. It's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just. I think I Caroline know. Powell has had the, the deepest recent run for a woman in a, one of these bigger pro predator events, which I think is awesome, by the way, that they're even like focusing on and bringing like a world women's slime ball, you know, this event. Caroline's had the deepest run. I think you'd probably look for somebody like a Jennifer Beretta, you know, to make those runs, um, you know, outside of those two. Yeah, know. we'll wait a couple of years. These junior, these junior uh, yeah, women Sophia players Mass. are coming up. Yeah, yeah. so VMS and Savannah Easton are both getting a lot of uh, experience and they're very smart players and they're, you know, 14 and 13 years old. So they got, you know, they're doing all the right things right now. So when they're 18 and 19, they'll be yeah. seasoned, solid competitors as they continue to, you know, grow. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Brianna Miller is actually back playing again, and maybe a lot of players don't know who she is, but yeah, uh, Brianna Miller is yeah. an absolute she's a monster beast of a player. I mean, when did she draw... start playing? I, I remember. I don't want to be wrong on when I first heard of her, but when did she? When was her upcoming? Probably when she was in Lindenwood. She dominated yeah, she, when she was at at Lindenwood. Yeah, when she was at Lindenwood, I was I was in college at her at the same time as her, uh, and okay. she was. Um, yeah, she. I mean, she was she was winning like the women's, and like she was dropping like three frames in the entire tournament, playing yeah. six seven matches, and she was, she was, you know, it's race to eight, I believe, is what it was, and she was winning everything eight zero. Um, the closest anybody ever got that I saw in like the three years that I was there was eight to two, uh, and you know, she wasn't playing against a ton of really top competition, but 
it doesn't matter if you're winning eight zero eight one every single time. Well, but she, had, Taylor, I mean, she had a brutal draw. I mean, she 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 plays the uh, the eventual champion in the first round, and then she loses two rounds later to uh, Fanu Husan, um, who ended up losing to the eventual champion too. So it's like, yeah, uh, she's she's uh, if she gets legit back into competing, she's a she's a legit threat to be top three or four women in the U.S. Oh, I think I think girl, um, Taylor Hansen too was at Lindenwood. And she yeah. was a she would wrestle all the time with April Larson. They were back and forth. Yep. Taylor's a champion player too. Uh, so you know, yeah, they're Taylor, both from Minnesota. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Great so, um, Brianna Miller, if she, if she's back playing and she's playing anywhere close to what her game is, uh, she is, in my opinion, probably the second best women player in the country. Behind it, immediately. I don't think that she's quite on Jennifer's level. Um, I do. Yeah, but uh, I mean, she is. I think I think her Fargo is like six six sixty, six seventy, something like that. I mean, it's. Uh, but she hasn't played for like six or seven years, so. But I think she's running a tour now. She's going to be running a tour in uh, the Virginia area. So. Yeah, she's getting back into it. Yeah, well, let's just. Yeah. So that's that's good. Yeah, I guess let's. Uh, do we have anything else we want to talk about for the uh, the women's side of things? Good. Okay, then uh, Rob, you can talk about your three cushion. Go ahead. Yeah, that's going on out there in Vegas now. World Cup three cushion, and uh, the best players in the world are playing in this. Uh, minus, I think uh, Frederick Cadrone is not in this event, but every other top player in the world is in it. Uh, Luis Vega. From South America, he's not playing in it, I noticed either. Uh, so, but everybody else is there, and they're all seated, of course, the, the top professionals, the 16 of them. Uh, and and they're playing the qualifying matches now. We've got uh, uh, Mike Miller and Freddie Lammers from, from uh, Minnesota there. They just left yesterday, to, or this morning, maybe they left to go out there and watch the event. And Craig Powers, who I've mentioned before on the show, uh, a top-notch three-cushion player and pool player, he's in the Hall of Fame here in Wisconsin, uh, is out there and he tried to qualify and he missed by one qualifying for this World Cup. <laughs> uh, but he volunteered to ref. So he's going to be out there. If you watch the streams, you can uh, you can go to Professor Q-Ball and on there he has a couple of links uh, to, I believe, uh, a couple different ways to watch. Uh, one of them, you can pick out five matches that are going on at the current time. They're live matches and pick your favorite player and, 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 uh, take a look at that. So that's going to be going on now for the next five days. Sure. All right. Uh, then I guess let's move on to the Predator World 10 ball, which is uh, getting underway literally as we speak. Uh, Francisco Sanchez Ruiz and Mickey Krause are playing, and uh, FSR just got his first win on the board. So it's a 1-0 in favor of FSR. And we can view that where, Nate? Yeah. Uh, well, here's the bracket. I can put it out there for everybody. Uh, so here's the bracket for it. A uh, couple of big matchups to begin with. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate for uh, – these two players, but Lee Van Corteza and Roberto Gomez draw each other first round. That's a, a great match to start out with, although I don't think that they agree. Uh, Daniel Gutenberger and Shane Van Boning. That is a pretty brutal opening draw for Shane. Uh, Daniel's not super well-known, but he is a really, really great player. Now, is this human rack, this tournament, or pattern rack? Or 
magic rat? That I I guess I don't know, to be honest with you. The stream is up somewhere. I guess we'd be able to to check that, but I would imagine I would imagine that this is template. Because I think that's what it's been in the past. You you don't know, Ray? Regular race as to what I like, imagine it's probably a triangle wreck. Seven until it gets yeah. down to so many and uh, I think it's a, I think it's a race to nine. Nine. Yeah. Uh, looking at uh, the brackets, I guess a couple of other big matchups: uh, Hoven Bustamante and Eklund Kachi. That's uh, Eklund is a former champion. I believe he won this two years ago. Okay, little Chris uh, posted where it's streamed. Yeah. <clears throat> Edgy Geronimo and uh, Jose Alberto Delgado. That's a that's a great opening match. Ko Ping Chung and Sky Woodward. That's a pretty tough opening match for those two players. Yeah, Max Lechner and Roland Garcia. Yeah, yeah there's uh, I mean, Victor Zelinsky and Alex Pagulayan. Oh, another brutal match. Alex is yeah. playing great. In in a tournament like this, I mean, there's just so many. I mean, it's an invite only field to be to get into this. You got to be a you know just an absolute monster player to begin with. So. I guess uh, everyone on this field is going to be pretty tough. In a, in a tournament? What's that? Have you ever played Alex in a tournament? Alex? Which Alex? Pagulayan. Me? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've played Alex one pocket, Banks, and 10 ball. I don't think I've played him in a nine ball event. Really? Nice. Yeah. I. Um, he. Um, he's done well. You know, he's done well. I, uh, <laughs> promising up and comer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just stuff action, man. He, uh, he really, gosh, Alex has had just a, such a good strike. I remember just every time I play him, I mean, the guy just always plays great. Um, you know, playing him in the banks this is the last time I played him at Derby. And, uh, I mean, I, I I'd be like, you know, fighting in for my life. And I, I mean, there's a couple times, like twice I had him down like four, zero, four, one on ball count. And he'd go for some like table length bank from like elevated off the end rail and just spear the thing one rail where he just strikes him so clean and then he runs out on me from nowhere. And I'm just like, he just keeps doing it to me. And I'm like, well, good shooting, sir. So anyway, yeah, he's, he's tortured me, man. I, uh, if I had to play Alex for a living, well, I, uh, you'd probably be on a podcast. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and then there's a level of players that are hitting him even better. It's just, I'll tell you what, man, looking at these brackets, it's kind of fatiguing when you think about like, you know, I don't know, man. It's like feelings are feelings. You don't let them steer your career. You know, you practice, you play your game, you show up, you fight. But, like, you look through those brackets and try to visualize a road to get deep in one of these events. It's like it's if you're not if you're not like 22 and, and, and play it like, you know, missing, you know, once every day. It's just it's hard to see a road, you know, <laughs> but you just do. You got to just stay focused on that little sliver. It's you know what it's like. I was thinking about it. Because it doesn't do any good to get discouraged or you know look at how tough it is. So so it's almost like when you're shooting like a table length shot where you got to cut a ball table length where it's got like a little bit of a half pocket or less where there's like balls blocking the pocket on both sides and you're shooting this cutting this ball table length and it's like well you can look at the percentages and talk about how tough that shot is but all you can really do is focus on that little sliver and just you got to just laser focus like there's that's the spot and you can't really think about anything else so it's easy when i see these brackets it's kind of like looking at how tough that shot is but then you just got to see that path through it and just stay focused on that one path that leads to victory 
I don't know. I'll let you know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess uh, good I don't know. We can uh, we can close out the podcast with some predictions. Who do you? Uh, let's all pick two players who we who are looking at to uh, to win this World Ten Ball. It could be fun. Rob, you want to go first? Shane. Yep. And. Oh, and another. Yeah, we'll do two. Why not? Mm, come back to me. Come back to you. All right, Demetrius. What do you think? Well, I'd like to pick some. I. I I think we should do the thing where we pick a dark horse kind of, you know what I mean? Because it's just more fun. So I think, okay. uh, I think that for my dark horse, I'm torn between, I'll go with Mario. He is he, a, or is he a favorite? Is he a dark horse or a favorite? Well, he's a, he hasn't missed a semifinals in the last 25 years. I'm going to have some fun and I'll pick Mario. He, and then, uh, and then, uh, I'll go with Tyler Steyer. What if, what if he popped this thing off? Well, what do you think, right? Uh, Francisco, just because I'd love for uh, all discipline world champion to be awesome. Uh, Sanchez Reese. And he's kind of just kind of habitualized winning at this point. Um, and you got a dark horse for us? Come back to me. I'll think about it. Come back to you. All right. Well, here's my. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Chang Jung Lin. I like him. I don't know why I like him. I oh, is he like in the? Him. I didn't even know he was in the field. Gosh. And yeah. for my dark horse, and for my dark horse, you know what? I think. Uh, nope, I'm changing my. I want. I want Voitech to repeat because he's my friend. Voitech right. Shevchuk's going to repeat, and my dark horse. I'm going to take. Uh, you know, we've already said his name a couple times, but it wouldn't surprise me a bit if uh, Daniel Masiol ends up getting there. I, I can see I can see him getting there. I mean he's he's been making some deep runs. So I'll say I'll say Daniel. I didn't even shut it off. I'll take Sky. Sky, all right, I like it. Demetrius, Ooh. you already had your dark horse? Yeah, uh, so my you know, my dark horse was Tyler Steyer and oh, yeah. my uh, and then I'll pick Mario He. Okay. Rob, what you got? Well, I'm gonna take uh Tuan for uh second one. Could be a could be a good one. I mean, he's made some deep runs, so yeah. And there's All no right. cheer out in this. It's just straight, just a straight, straight rotation. There you go. Yeah, just a straight. All right. Well, uh, I guess with that, actually, Shane Van Boning's down two zero right now to Daniel uh, Gutenberger. So maybe yeah, an upset uh, upset to make it. Maybe the last Predator event Gutenberger did. He was yeah. was in there till almost the end. Well, that's in. There's a match that's already done. Evan Is Lunda that the... beat Stephen Holman 8-0. Did he win or did he lose? Oh, Evan he won? won. I, that's got to be a forfeit. I feel like that's got to be a forfeit. That, yeah, they've been playing it's... for 17 minutes. You'd have to have like a – you'd have to have like a you – you, you must have like found a way to like break the 10 ball over the corner. Listen, if, that's not, if like, that wasn't a Jason Shaw match, that's an error. So it's win or break. Race to nine, that'd be two minutes a game. I would guess it's not win or break. I think that I think that's a forfeit. It's got to be a forfeit. That's got to be. That doesn't. It's got to be. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, with that, let's close it out for this week. Uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you all for uh, jumping on the pod with me, Rob, uh, Ray, and Demi. And uh, we'll see everybody all next week. Adios, you got it, guys. Adios. All right.